Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video number 91 and audio season four, episode 34 of Music is Not a Genre. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. Don't forget you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre or at anchor.fm slash music is not a genre. My public hub is, as always, at youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo. And the new or relatively new homepage on my website, nickdematio.com slash podcast. It's everywhere, people. It's being spread far and wide. So a couple of little things here. Um, as you may have noticed, every week I'm trying something new with the audio. I'm working on that tech end. The funny thing is that I spent many, many years uh, in AV and grew to hate it. Uh, <laughs> so I, in some ways, have been doing the minimum. In other ways, I've worked on some upgrades and things like that. Uh, with your support, more upgrades can be achieved. And as we are getting fairly close, only a few episodes away uh, until the end of this season, uh, as you may know, in between seasons, I always look for upgrades and things to change and, and other ways to rejigger what I'm doing here. Uh, there's always room for improvement, and I would love for you to be a part of that. So please, again, consider donating at any of those sites. Uh, music is not a genre. Just look it up. You will find it. This week's episode is officially book talk number three. For those of you who can see, you may have already seen that that was where this was going. The title of this week's episode is Meet the Beatles Books. Ask me why we always want more. So I, I, don't, I don't like to play games with people. I don't like to bait and switch and things like that. Like uh, There are so many you know, podcasts, especially on YouTube, where it's like, what is the one song that everybody hated that now is, you know, and they kind of come on to you like that. Nine times out of ten, what you end up getting is a lot less interesting than than that headline. And I understand headlines. You know, they're meant to be grabbing. I just like to be kind of clever and funny. And in this case, I made, of course, two references. If you see the graphic that I made, which I had a lot of fun with, it takes off of the album Meet the Beatles. So I had a different title. I changed it when I realized the graphic was coming together so well. Uh, and I changed it to Meet the, Meet the Beatles books. And then originally, uh, I had uh, also a a different title, which was Think for Yourself, reference to a Beatles song, of course, which I think is still true. But once I fleshed out what I was really saying here today, I realized that their song, Ask Me Why, was actually a better reference. And there's 
So many other ones. Uh, I saw someone online refer to the song, the line in the song, the word, uh, the good and the bad books that I have read. Another one, paperback writer, of course. Um, so many, but I chose that one because it's also not as well known of a Beatles song, and I always like to shed light on those like that. So, what's the point of this entire book talk number three here? You know. Uh, first of all, again, for those of you who can see my diorama, uh, or who can't see, let me describe to you. I have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 books, and then some collections of uh, DVDs over on the other side. This is such a small, small sampling of what's out there, of what's been published since the 60s. In, in every form of media. And so the point is, and the reason why I titled this Ask Me Why, is why do another episode at all? Uh, anybody who is a Beatles fan or who knows really anything about them could do a podcast on the Beatles. They're, they're that ubiquitous. They've been around, of course, you know how long, but they've been uh, a part of the zeitgeist more times than probably any other band in history and any other, I think, music artist in history. And they've certainly fallen in and out of favor in different ways, but I'm going to kind of get into that a little bit later as to the point of what's happening here. Very little uh, can be said that hasn't already been said. Or is that true? I, I, you know, I wrote that down. I was kind of playing around with the words here, if you read the text below. And one thing I think is true for any subject that is as rich as this is that someone else can always come along and write a book that sheds new light in one way or another. And that has partly to do with the context, the times we live in, or whether that person's perspective, or new discoveries, things that have been unearthed. And that has happened for major historical figures, you know, like Abraham Lincoln, and he comes to mind first, but so many others, and so many, you know, or so many books on World War II, or any subject that's that rich, there's been more than one. Now, I, I saw a count online, and I, I'm extrapolating, because it was written uh, about a decade ago. I think that as of now, there are, well, there are several hundred books about the Beatles, 600, 700, don't know, don't have a count, couldn't find a comprehensive list. And what I have certainly isn't anywhere near comprehensive. But again, the point being that everyone has said everything. You know, they've been talked about, written about, movies have been made, critiqued, analyzed and dissected, loved and hated, memorialized and revitalized. They've been covered, they've been copied, and they've influenced more musicians than even the musicians themselves know Influences get handed down from musician to musician and uh, artist to artist to the point where you may not even know that what you are referencing in your music came, you know, you don't know the original source it came from. And of course, yes, if you trace it back far enough, you're talking about the blues, you're talking about, um, you know, certain types of other like classical music, country music, like all of those merged together to create, you know, even to create what the Beatles did, you know. But we're not going back that far. In fact, what is interesting about this podcast, well, there are many things. One is, this is not my definitive Beatles podcast. Uh, if you have been following along with me for a while, you know that the Beatles are my favorite band. Uh, they likely always will be. 
numbers two through ten, let's say, uh, they're kind of a revolving door or one band might switch from three to two if you're talking about like Prince, The Cure, U2, The Who, Chicago, uh, Matthew Sweet, The Beastie Boys, uh, Violent Femmes, there's so many others. Uh, you know, they'll switch up, but number one doesn't change. And that that is always the case. But the more interesting thing here is that I'm not going to be talking about the Beatles' music. I might hit on it a little bit here and there if it relates to what I am actually talking about. But because this is not my definitive Beatles podcast, that's something that I would prefer to have some funding for. But if not, either way, I'm thinking probably next season I'm going to do one on their music. That's going to take a lot more research and time. This is, it's not necessary for me to get into the music then for this one. And especially because I really want to talk about the books and other media and how they've entered the culture, how much, how frequently, how, you know, why is it important? Why does anybody care? You know, and this is something that I think is a real hmm, touchstone for me as far as my knee-jerk reactions, which is that I try really hard, and I talk about this all the time in the podcast, to be open-minded, to you know, always be open to being wrong. And I have been proven wrong before by my fine audience out there. Uh, I remember a podcast on Billy Joel where I said, if you like Billy Joel more than Elton John, you probably like the Beatles more than the Stones. And I gave reasons why. And of course, that's a generalization. And someone, great musician himself, said that's not true. And I respect that. And yeah, you know, I, I constantly say I'm not an authority on anything. That's not the point of this. And I tend to reject any podcasters who claim to be an authority or any person who claims to be an authority in that sense. I mean, sure, if you're a scientist, but the, even the best scientists understand that uh, theory can eventually be disproven if something new is discovered. So it's that kind of a thing. And what I will say about why I preface this it's because I think it might be a bit judgmental. And that is, if I meet somebody and find that they actively dislike the Beatles, there's probably a very slim chance that I will relate to them in any significant way. And that's kind of putting it nicely. I tend to prejudge them as being someone I wouldn't want to know. Now then again, it's an interesting fact that someone could completely just dislike the Beatles or abhor them or disrespect them even more. So maybe I would want to get to know them. I don't know. But I think the point here is that there's so much that the Beatles have done in so many ways that I find it hard to believe that if you have actually heard any amount of the Beatles, that you could just categorically say that they weren't good or that they were overrated. You know, you can say you don't like them, of course. There are bands that everyone loves that I don't like. But... There's a difference between liking and acknowledging, you know, the respect that that someone deserves. I, every, you know, a lot of classical music fans love Mahler. I'm not a fan of Mahler. I'm not going to say he was bad or he's not worth the respect and, and, you know, adulation and all of that. No, he was incredible. Not for me. That's fine. I'm cool with that. Say the Beatles aren't for me, but I understand why they're so respected, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you if you say I don't think the Beatles were a good band or they don't deserve all of this attention and continued attention, 
And we'll get into why there's continued attention. I will answer that, ask me why. Then I think there is some kind of an internal disconnect in you that is preventing you out of a sense of contrariness maybe or cynicism from digging enough, and you don't have to dig very deep, but digging enough to find something about the Beatles that you can at least respect, if not, you know, connect with and like. And that's my soapbox. Now, since this is not my definitive episode on the Beatles, let me tell you what I'm going to focus on. That's three things, uh, plus answering that question. Number one is the books right here. I'm not going to go into any lists of anything, hundreds of books and dozens of movies and all of that, because that would be insane. And I don't think anyone has the patience to sit for that, nor did I have the patience to compile it. And I don't think there's any significant reason to do that. But I will touch on some of the books, ones that I have, my favorites, you know, what to me makes a good book of of any subject, but of course, particularly the Beatles, and also go into other media, particularly movies, but also television specials and, and uh, you know, both fiction and nonfiction. Second thing is that I like to maybe just say this and that's that, but I think I will touch on it more often in the podcast. And that is the Beatles, I think, are a are near universal Rorschach test. They... The way someone relates to them or the way a culture relates to them says a lot about that person or that culture. Specifically, which Beatles period you relate to, which composer from the Beatles you relate to more, what resonates more with you, what defines the Beatles for you. When you think of the Beatles, do you think of psychedelic music? Do you think of, uh, you know, teeny bopper rock? Do you think of roots, rootsier, you know, things? Do you think of more experimental? Do you think of all of those? Do you think of kind of chamber pop? There are so many ways to enter into the world of the Beatles that, what means the most to you, I think, does say a, a lot about who you are and how you relate to the culture. And you have seen, if you've been alive long enough, how there are periods in the last 50 years and more where the Beatles have risen again in popularity. And it was for a specific type of the music they were doing. So in the 90s, you had kind of that backbeat and oh, that thing you do and, and, and you know, movies and sports inspired by them as well, that had to do more with that kind of power pop rock sound that they started with. And then, but then in the 80s, there was much more on that psychedelic end of things, whether it was George Harrison's, you know, Cloud Nine album, you know, did some of that uh, echoing of the psychedelic period of the Beatles, or, um, you know, uh, Sowing the Seeds of Love from Tears for Fears was an incredibly Beatles-esque song, but so many bands did that back then. And then you have other times where you might have somebody like Lenny Kravitz, who's a huge Beatles fan, who's going to get more into the intricate harmonies and the and the soul of what they did. And so, yeah, what I'm saying is it's both the per- person and the culture, the era or the country or the, you know, any part of that that you call culture that can kind of help to really give someone a sense of who they're dealing with or what they're dealing with in, in terms of how they see the Beatles, how they hear them, how they relate to them. And the third thing is, to me, the most valuable thing anyone can ever say about the Beatles 
past, present, future, is what they think and feel. I love learning new things. There's a book uh, here that I read recently and one that I read less recently. Learn new things there. You know, you never go in thinking there's nothing new that I can find out because you will, and that is valuable. And I think that, again, analyzing and dissecting how did they become who they were and really getting a sense of that, especially if you're a musician, kind of knowing how they got to where they were. I think there are a lot of misconceptions about how they became successful or what makes their music so good. And that's why so much of what was later influenced by the Beatles couldn't quite measure up to it because the echo of it misunderstood where it actually came from. Uh, But to me, there is no need for more facts in a global sense. The Beatles have provided a service for the entire world, as I think all artists do, but come on, the Beatles, right? Uh, Let's go with the biggies and pick others too, you know, but this one's on the Beatles, so bear with me. And that is that they have created a body of music that promotes, um, you know, being competent at what you do, that promotes understanding how you need to connect with people, having the ability to have both hooks and intricate parts, uh, understanding that the performance, the writing and the producing all matter and promoting connection, promoting communication, promoting honesty. And that entire comprehensive body of things that have been promoted, you know, you can you can say that Ringo's, you know, peace and love, peace and love is reductive and a, a bit of a kind of a kind of a tick at this point. But he means it. And all the Beatles meant it in their own way. And yeah, that entire thing is kind of simplistic. But I think the more you boil down the ills of the world you you ultimately end up with they come from fear and disconnection, which are the opposites of love and connection in my mind. And so, you know, tell me what you think and feel is basically what I'm saying. And I'm going to tell you what I think and feel because that's how connection happens. And even if so many of us agree on so many things about the Beatles, there are many things we don't agree on or I, you know, I like this, the White Album better than Abbey Road or whatever it might be, or Rubber Soul and Revolver, or I prefer their earlier work. I know people who do. Uh, that, that just creates more conversation, right? So isn't that a wonderful thing? But here to me is the big why. This is the big why of, you know, uh, the big, or the big because, I guess, of the why do we keep getting more books and, and movies and, and, and everything about the Beatles and more artists going back to the Beatles to be inspired by them, to copy from them, to steal from them, as you know, the famous quote goes, good, good uh, artists borrow, great artists steal. I'm messing up the quote, but you get it. If you don't know it, look it up. It's fun and it makes sense. And that answer to me is that we want to we want to uh, understand the magic we want to peek behind the curtain and know how they became what they are were and are and we want to feel what we felt when we first discovered them whether that was ex post facto for most of us are not old enough to have been alive when they were uh, together or 
or right then and there. I, I know someone who, or I actually overheard someone talk about they were actually they actually saw the Beatles in concert before they stopped touring. So it was pre sixty six, sixty six or before. Either way, we are trying to recreate what we felt through that first discovery, and and we want to recapture and reanimate that the life and the magic and understand the magic. Because you can peek as far behind this curtain as you want, and it doesn't spoil the magic. But we can't. We can't ever get there. You can't go back. You can't really revisit the past. You can't really recreate in full what you felt when you first discovered something or when you first shared something with someone. You can recreate parts of it, but never the full thing. And you know that. You know it in your head, whether you want to admit it, you know it in your heart, and you, and you don't even have to acknowledge it, that, that you will never get there. That's why you, there's so many sci-fi shows about time travel and you know, being able to revisit something or uh, re-experiencing it, or re-experience it. Nothing we do now will ever fully satisfy that want, which is why we always want more. We're hoping that this next one is going to do it. I remember... Uh, I'll just throw it out now that we're over there with the anthology and down here when all that came out in 95, 96 I was absolutely thrilled and I just ate it up I knew those three CDs back to front I watched the special I have of course have the, the material here one of the few uh, of the hundreds of Beatles things that I bought it's actually my only Beatles t-shirt which I only bought because the Beatles cover band that I'm in, uh, the guy said, we all need Beatles t-shirts. And I was hoping that their new songs, you know, Free as a Bird and Real Love, would give me that same feeling that I felt when I discovered the Beatles. With watching the three living Beatles at the time playing together. And let me tell you, I felt parts of all of that. I absolutely did. I felt parts of it when I heard the studio outtakes and them talking or laughing through And Your Bird Can Sing or whatever else it is. Yes, I felt parts of all of that. But I didn't feel the whole thing because it's impossible. I'm glad it came out and I'm glad more came out subsequently. But that's, you know, we're never going to get enough. And because we're all so different and have our favorites, not so favorites, whether it's the people, the songs, the albums in the band, uh, solo work and things like that. And because the authors and creators, directors and producers are all different, we're going to get different perspectives, different things highlighting. It's like if you ask um, uh, you know, kindergarten class to draw a house or a horse or a dog, and there are 30 kids in there, each one of them, is going to do it differently. They may even have the same, let's say you said same exact components. I want a house with two windows, one door, chimney. And it has to have an an A-frame. And you show what the kid with an A-frame is. Even then, you're going to get 30 different houses. A lot of similarities, sure. Some may even look uh, pretty close to alike. But when you look, it's like fingerprints. No matter how close some may come, and some do come fairly close. No two are ever the same. No two Beatles fans are the same. No two Beatles uh, commentators are the same. 
And I think that's partly what makes it interesting because it goes back to that idea of finding connection. I want to hear what you think about this. You know, why, why don't you think that Rubber Soul was their greatest album or Abbey Road or whichever one it is? And both of those have been my favorite albums in the past. Uh, White Album has also been one of my favorite albums in the past when I was a kid, Sgt. Pepper's, you know. But what about you? You know, why, why is it that you like, you know, She's Leaving Home from Sgt. Pepper's better than Good Morning? You know, good morning, good morning. Right? Or do you don't like either of those? You prefer the Sergeant Pepper's reprise or, you know, or Day in the Life. Just examples. You can We can all love the same album but have different opinions as to why uh, it's so great and why we love it. And, and, and that conversation is just kind of amazing. But that's my long answer for the why. I think that's the why for anything, really. You know, we've... We fall in love with, a, you know, one of, one of my favorite uh, presidents is FDR. I will always want to know more about him, you know, uh, and as anyone who's into history and that particular kind of history would. If you're into music and in particularly this like the Beatles, you're going to consume this. And of course, if you've been here in the world recently, you know that part of the reason I'm bringing this up now is, well, number one, I'm lending some of these books out to my father and didn't want the diorama to be, you know, ruined by not having the books that I actually have. So I needed to get this done before the holiday. This I am recording this before the holiday. Uh, But, you know, number two is we've had some things in the media recently that have focused very heavily on the Beatles. The Get Back from Peter Jackson, uh, 321 McCartney, I think it was called, with Rick Rubin. And a bunch of other things, but those in particular, this book that I read here, The Last Days of John Lennon, yes, it is a library book. I don't know why I borrowed it from my parents, and um, it I'll discuss it a bit later, but that was also a fairly recent book. Uh, if you go back as far as pre-pandemic 2019, you have the movie Yesterday, which was a huge hit, and... Uh, was all about the Beatles or what if the Beatles didn't exist kind of like a it's a wonderful life thing but for the Beatles uh with a lot of different changes so yes um let me talk about some of more of the details of what I have here and I'm not going to go too deep because you know it's getting late people let's let's start with let's start with the books right and let's start with the books that the Beatles themselves wrote first one being the first one ever published in his own right, John Lennon. I have a, a later copy of it here, which I love this cover. I love the whole style. It reminds me of some of the Mad Magazine books. It combines in his own right and a Spaniard in the works, his two, first two books. And um, he also posthumously published Skywriting by Word of Mouth in 86. These were 64 and 65. McCartney... He's written some kids' books, I think Grand Dude or, or something like that. He's made contributions to other books, but it's really this one here, the lyrics, which I devoured, and I recommend to anybody who's into lyrics, who's into the creation process, who's into the Beatles, any of those things, I, rec- I recommend that. Harrison is the only one to have actually written a bio or memoir, I, Me, Mine, which he published in 1980. Uh, named after one of the one of the songs he wrote, and I love that song actually. 
Uh, Ringo, the only thing he really, he's published uh, his photographs, published a collection of postcards called Postcards from the Boys, you know, postcards he got from the other Beatles, which I think came out in 04. But he hasn't, you know, and I'm sure he contributed writing to those things, an explanation of why those are collections, but he hasn't really written, written. Uh, you know, and then you have these books here. I talked about this book. I talked about this one. This this James Patterson book is interesting because it's like journalism. Everything that is in there is sourced. So if you want to know about the life of John Lennon and, this, and then the last days, it's kind of a neat book. It's an easy read. This one, I think, is my favorite book. And, and to me, the best book on the Beatles ever written. I am so looking forward to the next volume, and I wish it was coming out sooner. Uh, but it's not. But tune in. Tune in, Mark Lewis, and please go look it up. If you want to start anywhere, start here. Seriously. Uh, we have Beatles Apart, the Beatles, uh, what is this, the lyrics, illustrated lyrics, which I think is fairly well known. And then we have a bunch of others, and Imagine John Lennon. Uh, we, I, I left in the anthology things that may not, shouldn't be in here, you might say, but are for a reason. I put these two here, the Beatles White Album uh, and Abbey Road, even though they are CD collections, because there's so much writing in both of them and elucidation from the writing. So I thought it was worth it. And I think it's worth it just for the writing alone. Yeah, the recordings are amazing. And again, the outtakes and alternate takes fun. But that writing really tells you a lot. Uh, And then this one here, Beatles... The uh, Complete Scores. I've had this book since 07 when I first joined a Beatles cover band. Uh, it has every single song that they ever released. Um, I don't think it has Real Love and Free as a Bird, but it has all everything else from the, their main period. And it's not perfect. There are a few errors here and there, but in general, if you want to know more about the actual music composition of the Beatles... Most of them couldn't probably even read what's in here, which is an interesting fact. Uh, and they don't care, and who does? This is a book to get. It may not be the easiest way to learn what they do, and frankly, these days, uh, just listening to the recordings is the best way. I'll, I'll suss out the chords and things like that, or their YouTube tutorials and how the harmonies are broken down. But this is a really cool book to have. So that's just to say. And, you know, like I said, way too many books to name but worth you know getting into i think uh i will say i have not read the beatles apart i my brother gave this to me and i don't think i actually read this one here the beatles the ultimate recording guide uh i think things that have been published subsequently have maybe covered it even more uh but i have read everything else that you see here most of imagine maybe not all of it uh, I, again, will have to say tune in is my favorite and, uh, I would love to know what your favorite is. Uh, I confess I haven't read this one in, in, in his own right or a Spaniard in the works, although I've leafed through it and, and skimmed some of it and plan to read it in full at some point. Uh, tell me what, what I'm missing book wise. Cause I know I'm missing a lot movies. I want to touch on. I have some of them here. Of course you have. Let me quickly say, promotional videos for songs were not called music videos. But they made music videos, and they made many of them. In fact, some were produced or directed, I should say, by Michael Lindsay Hogg, who also did Let It Be, 
uh, the controversial movie from 1970 and subsequently did uh, a few other things and also did a movie about the Beatles called Two of Us in the year 2000 chronicling that time when um, what the heck man I forget his name the dude from SNL the main dude Lorne Michaels went on in the 70s and said I'll give the Beatles $300 each to reunite on you know that it happened that, that Lennon and McCartney, McCartney had visited Lennon, so they were both in New York, and they thought for a while, hey, let's go down, because it's Saturday Night Live. They could have gone just gone downtown just a couple dozen blocks and decided against it, but that's apparently what that movie's about. I haven't seen it. I would like to see it, but getting back to this. So the movies they were in, Hard Day's Night, Help, Yellow Submarine, Magical Mystery Tour, Let It Be, uh, Lennon did a movie in the 67 called How I Won the War, which was a satire. McCartney did uh, Give My Regards to Broad Street in 84, which was not super well received. I haven't seen it. I'd still like to. Ringo was in several. Ringo had probably and has had the largest uh, acting career of any of the Beatles, including The Magic Christian with Peter Sellers that's referenced in Get Back. You see Peter Sellers in Get Back. Caveman in 1981. I think he met his current wife there, I don't want to say. Uh, and then, just a funny thing, Thomas and Friends. He was the conductor on Thomas and Friends in the mid-'80s. My kids watched a much later iteration of that, but anytime they did reruns, it was always I was always like, okay, I think George Carlin did it too, but wow, Ringo. Harrison wasn't really in any other movies after the Beatles broke up. I mean, you could say here and there, or, uh, you know, documentaries, which I'll get to in a second. But his main thing was as a producer, as a movie producer. I'll talk about that later. Uh, Not too much later. There's not much more here. Uh, Documentaries, I think there have been, they said there have been 20. I bet you there have been more. Uh, Scorsese's Living in the Material World in 2011. Harrison is a good one. Eight Days a Week, The Touring Years from Ron Howard in 2016 is a good one. There are so many others, and uh, you can even consider something like the anthology special on TV, uh, a documentary in its own way. Biopics, nearly 20 notable ones. Birth of the Beatles from 1979 was, I think, was the first biopic. Uh, Give my regards to Broad Street again. Backbeat in 94. I confess I never saw. It's a different era for me at that time, but I hear it's really good. Two of Us, I talked about in 2000. Uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey, Dewey Cox story, I think it's called, in 2007 because they they deliberately miscast the Beatles, like Jack Black and Paul Rudd and, and a couple of others, as walk-ons for this fake story of Dewey Cox. Nowhere Boy in 2009 about Lennon, I haven't seen, I've heard, is really good. Uh, movies inspired by the Beatles. Okay, does anyone know Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band? Not the album the movie from 1978 it starred the Bee Gees Peter Frampton bunch of others campy campy fun you know if you were critiquing it as a as a you know movie critic and someone who analyzes movies you would probably say this is not a great movie but it is to me a cult classic the way the monkey's head is a cult classic also, not the greatest movie in the world, from what I understand, but come on, right? So, 
I would recommend watching that version of Sgt. Pepper's just for the fun of it and the remakes. The remakes are kind of cool, you know, the covers. Um, also that year, uh, Rudels or Ruddles, I guess, All You Need Is Cash from Eric Idle and the Monty Python people, which is significant because around that time, Harrison got interested in producing films and connected with someone who helped uh, created handmade films production company who helped finance and create Monty Python's The Life of Brian. One of my favorites because I love all of their movies and went on to do Time Bandits and, and a few other things with Nail and I before eventually disbanding. But uh, Harrison was hugely into production and even created some music for some of those movies. I Am Sam in 2001. I didn't see it, but I have the soundtrack on CD because I... I really enjoyed the different cover versions. I didn't enjoy every single cover, but most of them. Across the Universe, which is over here in 2007, just surprisingly excellent. You know, uh, not again, nothing definitive about it, but there are versions of the Beatles songs in that film that we as a cover band, Prefab 4, do because we like them so much. And the artists that they had in there, including Joe Cocker and you know, you, you two or Bono, just the mix of artists, absolutely incredible. And the story is good enough to hold together and interesting, you know. And then yesterday I talked about in 2019, that kind of wish fulfillment of John Lennon still being alive, even though in an alternate universe where the Beatles didn't exist, um, I thought the dude was a dude from Train Spotting and Stargate and all that, I forget his name, did a great job being John Lennon, the way they did the makeup and how he talked, you know, really worked out well. And it's just a fun movie. It doesn't hit hard in too many ways, but I don't think that was its intention. And I think the way it was done was, you know, a little poppy, but relatively organic. And I like the lead character there and just did a great job. Uh, TV shows, setting aside the monkeys, which of course were inspired by the Beatles and then went on to a career worthy in their own right there's the anthology from 96 uh and then the others like i said get back tell me what you thought of get back you know you're of two camps it was too slow i couldn't get through it i didn't watch the whole thing not enough of a beatles fan or you devoured every moment and the silence was as compelling as what they were saying because i think peter jackson did a great job and to, and to distill that many, you know, 50, 60 hours, whatever it was, and even more audio into, you know, relatively seamlessly into what he did in places where, you know, I could tell that the audio was from just the audio superimposed over video that maybe didn't have audio or something like that. Really well done and told, as we have been hearing, a much more positive story than the original Let It Be did. And... And to me, in some ways, both are true. Although I will say this about Let It Be, as I will say about any form, any form of journalism and fictionalization in some ways, but, but that can go anywhere it wants to go. It's fiction, uh, even if it's based on true story. I'm talking about actual journalism that purports to report facts. Good journalism. And I'm going to read this note. So I'm taking a bit of a second to, you know, uh, make sure I'm getting it right. Good media, it, uh, you know, nonfiction media, 
doesn't create controversy. It doesn't need to create controversy. Conflict and controversy is part and parcel of every single thing in the world. If you look hard enough, if you do your homework, you can find it. If you feel like the only way to get attention for what you're doing is to create scandal and controversy, which dozens and dozens of the books that I don't have have done, then you are bad at your job. If you are a fan out there who still thinks that it's right on any level to trash Yoko Ono or blame Yoko for the breakup of the Beatles, then you are either living in 1969 through 70, whatever, and you've, uh, you, you know, or you, you want to believe that because you're a misogynist, or you're so hurt that you can't get over the fact that the Beatles broke up and like, I'm hurt, sure, you know, I'm hurt at the deaths, I'm hurt at the breakup, I'm not going to make up something. And so to me, and this is why I don't subscribe to a lot of the news that's out there. The best news is dry and somewhat boring by nature because when you get to a place in that news where it's shining a light on actual controversy and conflict, it's all the more impactful because it's based in actual truth and reality. So for me, yes, inspired by or, or whatever that's all fine. It can be what it wants to be. But if you are saying these are the facts, so many biographers have done on the Beatles and on the individual Beatles, and the only way you could do it was to drum up controversy, you're not good at your job. You're not good at your job. If you're a critic who trashes something just for just to gain power over it, you're not good at your job. You're not. And I'm going to have, towards the end of this season, an episode on uh, negative reviews and delve more into that subject. But that's my other soapbox here. I, as you know, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I'm also in a Beatles cover band called Prefab 4. Look them up. We do uh, shows all over the country and would even go out of the country if, uh, you know, the, the deal was right. I also have recorded several Beatles songs not nearly a drop in the bucket compared to, of course, what, what they did and what I could do. But I have covered on recording, I've probably performed over well over a hundred of the Beatles songs, maybe even half of what they released. But I've recorded five. And those five are uh, in order. I'll do them in order as best I can. When I was a teenager, I did an acapella version of Yes It Is broke down the harmonies and I think it was three part and really just, you know, I had one tiny little bass note to just keep the, the pitch right, but it was acapella and you can find that online on SoundCloud on my SoundCloud page. Look it up. Uh, I, I forget it. Did I put the, I know I put the link in the text. That's right. So just click that more recently, just a decade or so ago, I did two other ones. I'm so tired and Hey Bulldog. Hey Bulldog is the one that's going to be the end of this podcast. So stay tuned to hear my version of Hey Bulldog under the artist name The Drop, which was my production team for a while. Uh, it's one of my favorite covers that I've ever done. I brought out to me some part of the song that had already existed there, but did it in a way that was, you know, of its time uh, from, you know, 10 years ago or so. I also did at that time, uh, I'm So Tired, which thus far has gotten the most plays on streaming services of any of my songs, period, cover or original, about 3,000 uh, on uh, Spotify. 
Uh, actually, that's not true. There are other originals that have gotten way more plays uh, on, on other kinds of radio stations, not streaming. But I'm so tired. And Hey Bulldog were both produced for a film. And I ended up releasing them as singles. More recently, in my Weird Objective box set, I did covers of I'll Be Back and It's All Too Much. And again, found things in those songs that I thought changed them in significant ways, but still stuck true and honored the original. And so those are my five covers. Please go ahead and look them up. I put links down there to the covers collection, to the Yes It Is, to Hey Bulldog, and listen to everything and subscribe and all that stuff. What is your relationship with the Beatles? Do you go beyond the music? And do you like them? For first of all, and if you do, do you go beyond the music? Do you consume the books, the movies, the TV shows, and anything else? What are some of your favorites? Where do you come in from the Beatles? What's your era that you like or album that you like? Or what's your favorite song? I don't have one. For a while, it was Drive My Car. But that, you know, if you think that it's going to be one forever, then you you kind of stop living. Is there something you can say about the Beatles that you think no one else has said? I guarantee there is if you talk long enough and allow yourself to open up enough. There's something about you. There's something that you like, love, hate, prefer, an insight that you have that someone else doesn't have. And that's how this conversation keeps going and keeps moving forward, which is always my objectives here. Music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for listening to the not definitive Music is Not a Genre episode of The Beatles. And I will talk to you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 